Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. In each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. Our guest today is Blanca Castro, AARP's lead advocate in Sacramento. Blanca joins us to discuss nursing home safety in California and what the legislature can do in 2021 to protect the population that's most vulnerable to COVID. I hope you'll listen and share this important episode. Well, Blanca, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate having you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brian. Our pleasure. So could you tell us a little bit about your organization? Obviously, everybody knows AARP, but would certainly love to hear about your particular focus there and the scope of what AARP does in California. Absolutely. So So AARP, it's a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. Um, We don't take any positions on candidates and we don't have a political action committee. Our focus is on uh, representing older adults, 50 plus and their families. And we know that people want to live and remain in their home um, as they age for as long as they can. So our focus is on issues that will allow people to live independently in their community um, as long as they can. And if not, that they have uh, protections in place so that in the event they do have to go into long-term care facilities, um, that they're that they get the quality of care that they need. We represent about 38 million Americans across the nation and in California, about 3.3 million. So you don't get involved in races, but you certainly um, spend your time on issue advocacy in Sacramento, I take it. Precisely. And so in in Sacramento, the focus um, in California, particularly our focus is um, at the local and at the state level. So we work with local um, elected officials on, um, quite frankly, on creating age-friendly communities. And AARP is the North American affiliate for the um, World Health Organization's age-friendly framework. And uh, the age-friendly network actually is an approach to creating communities based on policies that will ensure that that transportation, housing, um, whatever you need, regardless of how old you are, whether you're eight years old or 80, you should be able to access in your community. Um, And so that's the approach. And we work across um, the state at the the local level. In in the capital, our focus is on um, improving nursing homes. And uh, we're primarily focused uh, this year in 2020 and 2021 and probably beyond on nursing home reform. Um, Happy to discuss more in detail about that. We're also focused on um, increasing more affordable housing for uh, particularly low-income seniors and removing barriers to what that currently is. And... um, We're also focused on broadband, increasing access to broadband. Regardless of where you live, you should have reliable, accessible, and affordable broadband. Um, And then lastly, um, we are have been working on this for quite some time, but finding a way for um, people who are are middle income to pay for long-term care in their home. Um, and so we're, we're uh, working with a number of um, different advocacy groups, inclu- including uh, labor and uh, disability groups, to develop a long-term care um, 
insurance benefit that would um, be accessible to to the folks who don't um, currently uh, are not eligible for Medi-Cal, which is the only program that pays for long-term care. And what long-term care services and supports are, um, really briefly, Brian, is um, as people get older, oftentimes they may need assistance with driving to the doctor's office or uh, shopping. Um, and in some cases, they may have um, some conditions that require assistance with with bathing, with clothing, with feeding, with medications. So those are long-term services and supports, and many people prefer receiving those in the home. Um, there are instances, however, where a nursing home where you have a 24-hour medical care may be the best um, possible solution. But what we we all know and and have seen, but even before COVID-19, that's really not where people want to be. They don't look forward to going to nursing homes. And they're, um, and now with COVID-19, um, and the impact it has had, and quite frankly, the, um, quality of care that we have seen in nursing homes, uh, during this pandemic has really, um, shifted people's focus and they're wanting to try and prevent even placing a loved one in a facility because of, of um, the tragedies that are happening there. Well, it's a hugely important set of issues. Let's, let's jump right into this nursing home safety issue because you, you've, you've teed it up perfectly. Um, you know, what do you want to see done in this space? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I was a little surprised that there wasn't any bills that moved in the last session, given the urgency of these issues. I think we've had over 5,000 deaths in nursing homes in California already, and that number is, of course, growing by the day. Um, what would you like to see done in this legislative session? Well, in 2020, um, I do want to say that there there were a couple of bills. Uh, one was uh, is actually uh, now requiring um, effective 2021 that all nursing home facilities must report within 24 hours um, a death related to a communicable disease, and that they must have on staff an infection control specialist. That was one bill that passed, but you make a really good point. There was not a slew of bills. There was not, you know, a hundred bills that were focused on improving the quality of care in nursing facilities. And quite frankly, part of it is because this is a very powerful um, industry that is going to try to protect um, the, the way things are right now and they don't want to change them. So, what really needs to happen um, in nursing homes, and, and if I could back up a little bit, some of the, the, the biggest problems that we're seeing are the result of a business model of care that is not conducive to focusing on how does somebody receive the best care in a home-like setting that they happen to need 24-hour medical care. Um, some of the major reasons that we have um, such a high number of deaths and 38% of the total deaths in California of COVID-19 are um, residents in nursing home facilities. And that's as of today, December 21st. Um, is, let's, let's start with the first uh, issue. And that is that 
We have for-profit nursing homes. These are corporations that um, may own a, a region um, and will own a multiple number of nursing homes. So their focus is really on the bottom line. How do we reduce uh, cost by, uh, inc- by and maintaining our, um, our profit? Um, they also, in the ownership uh, world, you may have... Um, and this is the business model. You'll have a parent corporation that owns a number of different types of businesses that essentially offer the service to that nursing home. So they have, a, and it's owned by the same corporation. So the same corporation will will own the staffing um, company. They'll own the mortgage leasing company. They'll own the occupational therapy company. They'll own all these other services that an individual would need, and um, they parcel that out, but they're literally paying themselves. Um, and the two major funding sources for nursing homes are Medicare and Medicaid, and in California, that's Medi-Cal. Um, but Medicare does not pay for long-term care. They pay for a short stay uh, in a nursing home facility. Also, the uh, staffing levels. Um, so certainly part of the cost would be uh, to pay people not just a reasonable but um, a livable wage. And so you have um, aides uh, that are, um, and these are the, the, the aides that may do a lot of the patient care regarding bathing, cleaning, um, provide, doing the medication. Um, that Those are very uh, low in California, and that's where we really need to change uh, the way we have a paid uh, some of the most important um, type of, of healthcare professionals, regardless of whether you're uh, a nurse's aide or a licensed um, nurse or registered nurse. Um, there's these are important roles every step of the way, and so um, California does have. Um, and in this pandemic has been issuing um, also a lot of waivers to skilled nursing facilities that are allowing them to essentially get away with not having the required nursing um, ratio to, to, to resident. And even currently it's, it needs to be improved. So we are going to be focusing on that. And a couple of, go go ahead. ahead. A couple of other areas, and that is um, with regard to um, the the transparency or lack of transparency and reporting, um, we just need to know where the money goes. Is the money going to provide services and and care to uh, the residents? Um, or is it going to the corporations and their bottom line? And that's, that's going to be an area that ARP, uh, and others are, we're not going to stop until we get some significant changes in California. And it's going to have to be legislated. It will have to be uh, a law that's, that requires opening the books and, uh, really seeing what the organizational structure is. So right now, if you want to 
check into a nursing home or if your family wants to help you, there's really no way for them to understand that issue of where your fees are going. Is that correct? Precisely. There really isn't. And and try to contact the administrator. Um, we hear that all the time and that people don't even have an individual to contact to during the, the lock. And it has been a lockdown since March of two, 2020 where um, individuals, loved ones, want to be able to just know that their their parent, their grandparent, their sibling, their spouse is okay, um, but try or asking questions about how they're doing since there hasn't been visitation allowed. So um, there's a there is a lack of transparency, but and just as importantly, there's a lack of direct communication with the the people who are overseeing the business model, but even just not even having somebody that you could call and check on um, how your, your loved one's doing and their well-being. So you mentioned it's a powerful industry on the other side. Some of the feedback we always get from listeners is people say, talk more about the politics. We, we love the politics. We want to understand like who's, who's fighting, who's, who's preventing good things from getting done. So uh, let me ask you to do that to the extent you're comfortable with it. Who, who, is the, who represents the nursing home industry on the other side? Um, you know, what, what are your conversations like with them to, to the extent that they engage in these dialogues? Um, well, one of the largest associations um, that represent nurse, skilled nursing facilities in California is the California Association of Health Facilities. Um, that's, that's one of them, but there are corporations that, um, that essentially uh, own a lot of the nursing home facilities in California. We have 1,223. And um, that's part of the the challenge. When you have, and I mentioned earlier, AARP does not have a political action committee. Um, we don't contribute to political campaigns, and that includes for candidates. But this industry can do that, and they do do that. And so one of the questions that we're going to want to know is who gets the largest contributions from the nursing home industry and, and, and do that type of research because um, that could certainly be one of the key barriers to passing legislation that would um, increase transparency and hold them accountable. Um, this, this year in 2020, there were a number of advocates, uh, nursing uh, facility industry representatives who were interested in, they were, they sent a letter to the governor. Um, and I'm happy to share it with you, Brian, that um, essentially was asking for blanket immunity under pan- the pandemic. And what this would have essentially have done, and they were asking the governor to issue an executive or- order. Um, fortunately, he did not issue an executive order, but there was tremendous pressure from the industry to try to get protection from lawsuits so that they could claim, well, this is because of the c- pandemic, your, you know, your parent uh, didn't have the, the level of staffing that we would normally have. Or um, they they died uh, because of the pandemic. Has they wanted to remove, take away completely their responsibility, and that's 
that's an outrage. And people need to, to really be um, outraged about this, this situation that we're in right now. We have 5,911 people who have died in nursing homes from the pandemic. That, that is 30, 38%, almost 40% of the total number of deaths in the state of California are residents. And so you, you may have somebody who went into a nursing home just for rehabilitation after a hip replacement or after they had heart surgery. And they didn't die from that, but they died from COVID-19. And so it is tragic. It's, yeah. it's an American tragedy, but in California, we're, we're done. We're, we've got to change. Uh, and this attitude about, well, we, we don't have enough money and it's not our fault. Yes, it is your fault because you should have infection control plans in place, just like a hospital would have infection control plans in place. Nursing homes should have that and they should have, uh, personal protective equipment for all of their staff ample enough so that they can, they don't have to reuse them. They should have testing and not just for staff, but for residents on a regular basis. And then when they need to quarantine, somebody have a plan of how are they going to quarantine people instead of having two people to a room or all of it's a congregate setting. So it's, it's just um, even the model. And the, and the facilities, the way they're designed, they are not designed for um, protecting people who may not have been infected. Well, well, thanks for bringing up the letter. Our listeners have heard this before because we've had a few other guests mention this and um, a, a, tr- a truly egregious overreach by the nursing home industry. And um, thank you for pushing back on it because I think that was a real risk at the time that that, that could have gotten implemented. We, we've heard... All, all kinds of bad policies have been passed in the name of COVID. And it sort of reminds me actually of what McConnell has been pushing for at a federal level in these latest stimulus talks where he was looking for sort of blanket immunity for employers. I don't know if that actually got down to the nursing home level, but this this sort of yep. seems like uh, something that's in the water now. What, do, do, do you know any more about that? Did that actually re- reach the nursing home level at the, at the federal level, what they were pushing for? Um, that's what they were pushing for and they will continue. It's not over. So mm-hmm. we can't, we cannot um, sit back and say, well, you know, that was close. Uh, they will continue to push for this. And so um, people do need to have a right for, um, redress for filing lawsuits um, because there are a number of uh, patient rights that have been um, essentially ignored or um, in this case, some people have been neglected. Um, We know that the pandemic, because of the the shutdown, what we're seeing is that the, the decline in a person's mental health and physical health, uh, if they're a resident in a nursing home, is directly correlated. And so we we've had we have stories from our members that have shared, but it's it's been reported in the in the media as well as somebody died because they essentially just gave up. 
Uh, they couldn't see their family anymore. And, um, that's, that's a pretty major, I mean, we've all been locked in our homes, but you can walk out, you can go, you can call your family, uh, you can see someone on Zoom, but many of these residents, even if they had access to a telephone or an iPad, um, you, you may not be able to even use that because you're, you might have dementia. This individual may have Alzheimer's, but they still recognize or they may know that that person is their family member and is visiting them. And there's some, some comfort in that. But when you don't have anybody visiting you since March, um, that's a, that's a pretty sad state of events. And we should not have gotten to this point. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a, it's a good segue to something else um, that I know you're focused on. There's these minimal penalties for violations um, when patient rights are being violated. Can you explain sort of the status of that and what you're seeking to do on that topic? Brian, thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, so uh, ARP is going to be, and we're right now working with, with a legislator who is developing a proposal that would increase the uh, penalties by violation, per violation of a patient's rights. So um, it could be anything um, if they were over-medicated, which can happen. Uh, we refer to that sometimes as being chemical, res- chemical restraints. Um, if, that's, if they can prove that somebody has been over-medicated or um, any other, um, you know, wasn't given, uh, even communicated to their family that they were being transferred. I mean, that's a right that, that the family has and the individual has is, is to have that level of transparency and communication. Right now, um, there is a flat amount of $200. If there is a, a situation where, where there was a patient right violation, we want to change that in California. First of all, it shouldn't be based on one person or it should be based on by, per violation. And that's what we want to change because if we don't impact the profits that these corporations are making, they're, they just write it off. They just write the check and, you know, let's be done with it. Um, these are moms, fathers, grandparents, siblings, spouses. People have lived these beautiful full lives and to be um, placed in an environment where there is not that level of care for the quality of life is unconscionable. And as a society, we need to change that. And we can. So our goal is in, in 2021, not just going after the increased transparency on who's running these facilities and what other companies do they own that are also getting the same money more just going from one to another account. Um, we want to know where the money is going in terms of the COVID um, relief packages. Has that been spent on PPE, on testing, on increasing staffing? Um, and then we also want accountability. So we want the Department of Public Health, who is responsible for overseeing nursing home quality of care. Um, they have begun to change their um, 
strategy, but it hasn't been fully implemented. So we want in, we want on-site inspectors on a much more regular basis. And right now, since COVID-19, they're not doing any inspections. So you don't have families looking out because they're not able to, to go to nursing facilities. You don't have the state inspectors going in and you don't have an ombudsman going in. So, um, we don't have any eyes on on what's going on. Yeah, and a two hundred dollar penalty, of course, is not going to discourage anybody from from anything. Uh, so, I'm I'm curious as to how you think private rights of action should play a role here, because because obviously there, there's a lot of reasons to doubt the government's enforcement ability and um, ways to see things through. On the other hand, there's some pushback of excessive trial lawyer verdicts and, and things like that. Where where do you see the role of private litigation in all this? Well, ARP actually has um, a foundation that is our litigation foundation arm. And we have been um, involved in cases uh, either as an amicus um, or have actually filed the case. So where we see it is that people have a right to be protected to feel safe, to be provided the best quality care, regardless of how much money their um, the program is be- being paid. So just because I'm low income and I'm a resident in a nursing home should not diminish my life and the quality of care that, that I am entitled to receive. So the patient rights were established for a reason. And so where lawsuits and any litigation comes into play is if these rights were violated, they should, that family, that individual should have the right to sue that facility. And it should be based on the incident types. We wouldn't even allow, um, in some cases, the way that, that this has happened. Um, it says as, as if they're being de- they don't have the same value as even an animal. We wouldn't even allow them to be in these conditions. And yet we're concerned that this is going to create class action lawsuits. There's right now, there isn't anything that's doing that. Um, And so we need, we need for individuals and family members, and there may be class action lawsuits. If we see something, I'm not here to, to speak about what would happen, but I'm here to say that everybody has a right that if their rights are being violated, they should have a right to legal protections, just like anyone else. And I wonder if there's something that would be good policy to enhance those litigation rights, because it because it, it doesn't seem like right now necessarily, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like there's a ton of trial lawyers focused on this space, maybe because they can't see enough money in any one particular verdict, um, which is just a rational business decision from their point of view, I understand. Do you you think that there's something that should be done from the private litigation rights point of view to bring bring more um, sort of accountability from that side? I I really would not be in the I'm not the right person to respond to that. I really wouldn't be able to uh tell you what would have to change within the um within the system that we have. Um and I don't know you know it 
it's it's a question that I think you would need to ask uh, trial attorneys or attorneys that represent. But we we do know that there are and like with ARP Litigation Foundation, there are attorneys out there and that are trying to protect um, one resident, but they also are trying to make that statement that will sometimes change policy. And I'll give you an example on patient dumping. One of the things that we saw and have seen during the pandemic is that um, there were uh, people who were you the res the facility or the corporation could make more money if somebody was COVID positive. So that was actually um, a policy that the state of California had uh, implemented during this time. We'll give you more money for this uh, for somebody who has COVID. So they were accepting COVID positive cases for the $1,500 more and then dumping or releasing people who had nowhere to go were residents of a nursing home and they were either dropping them off at homeless shelters or, you know, wherever else, but not, not allowing them to stay there, even though that was the only place that they could be. So the, um, the, the nursing home um, facilities, if they can make more money from somebody who has COVID, um, of course, they're going to, it's the bottom line. Where can we make the most amount of money? So uh, if Medi-Cal is paying less for somebody who's healthy and doesn't have COVID-19, those are the folks who are being released. And we had, first of all, several rights were violated in that instance. And so AARP has been involved in cases where, first of all, you must be informed as a family member before somebody is being transferred or released and allowed to at least know where your loved one is going and have some say in that. That that wasn't occurring. Um, and then the other violation, somebody, if a person doesn't want to leave and they're being forced to, that's another violation. Mm-hmm. So these these are different. The These are incidents that were happening even before COVID, but they were much more um, common during COVID. And we still haven't gotten the vaccine in the nursing facilities. So, and is your we're we're recording this on the twenty first? Is your expectation that that's going to be starting momentarily, or what, what's the latest you've you've heard on that? Well, ARP actually has been part of the uh, stakeholder group. We fortunately have a, a representative from our team who sits on the uh, stakeholder work group to help with the deployment of um, the vaccine. And um, that's one of that's one of the things that we've seen and we know is is a priority for the governor is to have uh, residents and nursing um, nursing residents and staff um, as a priority uh, population. So it should be coming um, certainly before Christmas or around that time is is our understanding. Um, but you have to remember COVID-19 vaccine. Um, there are people who can decline not to take it. It's not a mandate to be vaccinated. So we, we also have to keep that in mind. So it doesn't just because yeah, you sure. get the COVID vaccine. Yeah, just because you get the COVID vaccine 
Um, it doesn't mean that that's going to protect every single individual. There may be some people who refuse to take it. So um, that's why we, we need in place in all of this 1,223 nursing facilities in California to be required to have an infection control process, plan, protocols, training, equipment, everything in place so that they can quarantine an individual who may be COVID positive. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a great point. There's a writer I like a lot named Ryan Holiday, and he's he's been talking about um, how everyone's wrong to keep talking about when things are going to get back to normal. And his point is there's a lot of permanent changes that we need to make um, because whether it's COVID or the next pandemic, which is lurking out in nature already somewhere, um, the like you like you just described, you know, if we don't have adequate infection prevention control, if if we're not ready with PPE, if if we're not doing the things that we need to do to get prepared, then we're just going from one tragedy to the next. So I, you know, I think you've you've, you've made some great points. I, I want to do a whole show focused on sort of vaccine resistance and long term structural changes we can make. Um, let me get one more topic in before I let you run. I know you're working on affordable housing issues for seniors. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your focus there is. We've done some affordable housing segments on the show, haven't really focused on the senior issue. So I'm really curious to hear your particular take on this. Well, I really do hope, Brian, that you can focus on this on one of your shows because there's a misperception out there that older adults don't want affordable housing in their communities. And oftentimes the people who are the most vocal opponents of uh, affordable housing, multifamily uh, development may be, um, 50, maybe 50 plus. But there are also older adults who do need affordable housing. Yeah. They don't have any, any other options. And we need to hear more of their voices. And we also need to change the the perception that many people in our state and country have that affordable housing for some reason is a bad thing. Um, it, it's simply to house people who are low income or very low income. And there are just simply not enough um, federal or even state programs that would assist somebody and provide them su- subsidized housing. So we need to build more affordable housing where the the market rate would be lower so that you could have uh, an older adult who may not need, you know, but 800 square feet maybe uh, to be able to live in that place. Uh, but oftentimes the, the most vocal opponents tend to be, but what we, we do know, and that's what we, I hope you will uh, focus on in, some of the barriers that can be need to be removed. And one of those is we need more older adults out there supporting affordable housing. 
Yeah, yeah, you can have a huge impact on this, obviously, by by, by getting some of the people who, as you say, it, it can be perceived as being the most vocal against it. So it could really change the politics. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Blanca, you've been generous with your time. Um, you're working on so many important issues. I could keep you all day, but um, but but let's let me just end with giving uh, you a chance to direct people to where they can find out more about the work that you're focused on and how they can get involved. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for focusing on the um, really the the pandemic, but the the, the lack of um, focus and uh, changes that have been happening in, in nursing home quality of care. And so for people who are listening, if you have a loved one in a nursing facility, you can speak out. You can call your legislator, but you can also go to aarp.org forward slash nursing homes. It's in Spanish and English, and that's where you can go and get multiple types of resources, information. And then we also have questions you should ask of a nursing facility before you even place somebody in that facility. Great. Uh, well, I'm sure that's going to be hugely helpful to people. And uh, we'll do some work to get this message out to the right people. So Blanca, thank you again for the time. Really a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Brian, and happy holidays to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to Nation State of Play. Our producer is Hannah Miller. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. For more information, you can find us on Facebook at Nation State of Play.